you're ministering to our hearts. We pray for your truth, your wisdom, and most of all, your love. May you bring us together in the unity, and may your truth set us free. I pray, Father, that you protect us from all deception. We pray, Father, that we may work together and contend together as a body to know you and to seek you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, as we work this through together. And we just lay this at your feet, Father. And we pray that your will be done in the precious name and by the blood of your Son, our Savior, our Groom, and our King, our precious Yeshua HaMashiach. Does, um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, who's been here through the series? Can you pop your hand? Wow. I'm used to the numbers going down once you start getting into to some of these things because we tend to start maybe um, challenging some sacred calves in our lives and things that we've maybe learned over the years with tradition and things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a journey, but um, I know myself, and I was speaking to a dear brother of mine just earlier uh, this morning and basically uh, just kind of admitting that... Uh, and listening to Kirk's testimony that all of the things he can do as a God and the creator of the universe are incredible. But how, you know, when Yeshua said, you, you know, you will see even greater things than these. And he was doing all the miracles that we want to see, right? But he's saying even greater things. And I don't know of anything greater to a creator who's allowed this all for a purpose of finding out whether we love him than the work of the heart. I don't know how you can take every miracle he displayed and make it greater other than the circumcision of the heart. And I know four years ago, for me, um, you know, I sat in this very building and I've had to be repentant because my heart was struggling. I'm going, you know, Father, do people really want to know? Do they care? You know, and my heart's struggling not to judge. And I'm sitting there and he's going, will you pray? And I, do, I would just pray. And yet I see a body of people. Whether you agree or understand what we're going through right now, what I'm seeing is a body of people that are willing to go, you know what, let's look together. And I don't know if I could have seen that four years ago inside my heart. And so the honor to serve um, is humbling. It's humbling. And it brings me to a point of repentance. And it has in this whole series where every time I just find myself repenting as I drive here in the morning. That place before God, I'm turning to God in a place of repentance and going, okay, you know, you actually know the beginning from the end. I don't. You actually know when my life ends. I don't. You know everyone's story. And you paid for everyone. I didn't. <laughs> and so you start to realize really what we have is a servitude position. Or we have a, a puffed up one with our knowledge and things that we know. So today, um, we, we're going to challenge some, some sacred, you know, cows. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're going sh to shoot a couple of them. Um, and, and as I do that, um, 
please, please, um, it's okay if if uh, if something in your own heart rises up and goes, why is he saying that? Or whatever it is. Um, again, just the encouragement. Keep contending together. It's okay if you don't understand, don't agree, or are wondering. Or that you do and your spirit sings with it. Whatever is, is happening with you, you know, let's just keep doing it together, okay? Um, because I believe the spirit and the promise of his word is he will lead us unto all truth. And actually, if we do this and walk together, we can actually receive his truth and not just Curtis Reed's version of it, or not just such and such or whatever it is, right? So, you know, again, I just remind you, who cares what I think, right? My opinion doesn't matter. You imagine me standing before the father, father, you know, do you realize what I knew? I mean, who's going to have that position? My prayer is, may you shut my mouth on that day because you didn't do it my whole lifetime. So, you know, it's because it's a place of, I am before love. I am before truth. And there is no doctrine, no denomination, no teaching, no person that I may have esteemed or understanding or whatever teaching that I had lived and tried to contend with through the course of my life that I tell you, I'm not sure those things are going to be going through my mind when I am before the creator of the universe and I am facing his assessment of my heart. So as we look at these things today, let's just keep going, okay? Because we're going to start looking at some some more difficult stuff. And next week, you know, it, it'll be very, very fascinating. And it'll also be some disturbing things. But I promise you that this will finish with a place that gives life. The reason why we're looking at these things is so that there is life. Now and if many of us here perhaps even face the days that are coming. We don't know who does and who doesn't. Um, because any of us could drop dead today, right? And so, is this about, you know, oh, well, we're all going to die. Oh, I got news for you. We are. <laughs> okay, so the only question is how, when, <laughs> what, you know? And we can either focus on that, or we can sit here and go, you know what? I know that's an assurity. <laughs> I'm going to focus on him. Whenever he decides that it's over, it's over, Right? Okay, so we got nothing to fear here, nothing to fear at all, but a, but a reverence for him is what we want to find, okay? And perfect love casts out all fear. So even though we're going to look at these things, we're okay, right? Um, I'm just going to start off with the scripture and give us some encouragement. Um, this is the end of Malachi, so the, the Old Testament or the Tanakh is coming to a close uh, before what we start. Uh, in the uh, the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament. But unto you that fear my name, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reading from Malachi 4, verse 2. But unto you that fear my name, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves out of the stall. We're going to come out of his promise at the end of this, and this is speaking right at his return, is that we are going to leap for joy like calves. Okay? So that's how this ends. All right? Let's hold on to this, and we're going to look at some other words that uh, are to comfort us at this time. Okay. Uh, 
By the way, I, I just, I gave up last night and I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to do my typical thing. I'll skip through some things real quickly. Um, buckle up your seatbelts. We've got a number of scriptures to look at. If you're in, if you're the sort of person that writes down scripture, who writes down scripture? Um, if you're the sort of person that does that, get ready. Okay, because we're going to be looking at this. I, I actually went through this and I'm going, I don't even know what to take out. You know what it's like when you, you put something together and you're looking at his word and then you've got to be the one that says, no, that part of it goes. And it's, it's a strange feeling because it's like, wow, you know, I'm going to decide, you know, and it's sort of, so I just went the other way and said, you know what, you decide and we'll pick up what we can tonight at the, at the Q and A. And thank you once again, some great questions and the people that are showing up a great turnout on the Sunday nights and that's it. Just keep it up. So really, really, uh, appreciate that. So the journey so far, uh, the why, so we looked at, you know, the, the whole heart of it. What's the Bible um, really all about? Um, Truth versus tradition, it's a powerful thing. We're going to discover that again today. Um, what is Israel? And that depends on our biblical lens and the fancy word up there, ecclesiology. Um, this is really his his people. And so we realize that uh, Israel is just not a, a piece of dirt in the Middle East. Uh, love versus fear-based thinking, okay? So which perspective we were going to roll this from? Has anybody found that you're getting some life out of the series, even though we're talking about the end times? Is that true? So I think anything that comes with his word will bring life if we walk this through, right, uh, together. So we look at this and we say, well, if we start looking at it from a Hebrew marriage covenant perspective, um, the whole Bible tends to focus around a covenant, a promise, and he's building on it slowly and slowly. We, we term uh, these uh, uh, all sorts of things, you know, the, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. But what we're actually seeing is a buildup of an understanding of the covenant, and, it, and it's an incredible thing when you understand through um, he, what Hebrew prophecy is. It's actually building a foundation so that you're, you're actually on solid ground as you keep looking at these as opposed to just all over the place and whatever you want to try and think of things. Uh, what is the Bible really all about? The great mystery revealed. We, we've gone through that with what Paul was so excited about in the book of Ephesians. The appointed times and his wristwatch. Everybody remember what is the creator of the universe? Where's a, a wristwatch? The heavens. That's pretty serious business. If somebody says, I wear the universe as a wristwatch, when we've got something serious to, to deal with. Right? That's pretty cool. Um, and then we talked about the, the lion and the lamb and how our understanding of, of his first and his second coming can often get confused with our living. And we looked at this, the, the, uh, a deeper definition of what sort of sin was this leaven that they were dealing with, this missing the mark, which is what sin means. And it was a form of spiritual adultery. And so this is how we can break our covenant with him. You know, how do we commit adultery against the one who bought us? How does that actually occur? Well, you actually can only do it spiritually. And this is what Israel's done the whole way through. And we're, and we're still doing it today. If this is the way that we can offend him and break our covenant, then I think understanding spiritual adultery is quite interesting. And next week we'll look at something called Mystery Babylon and how she tends to get her tentacles right through things. And when we start to expose her, we start to realize, wait a minute, maybe this isn't a great thing to be in relationship with. Um. The Passover lamb, so we looked at uh, um, just literally to the day 
How he fulfilled this, the preparation, the cross and his resurrection fulfilled literally to the day and the hour. All in the same year, all in sequence. So his first coming was fulfilled and he laid down a pattern, prophesied and then actually fulfilled it for us to understand. And he's told us to celebrate it a certain way every year. Hebrew prophecy, uh, we spoke about that, 11, Judas and Peter. What really started to affect them, the, the heavens declare his glory. We, we uh, discussed briefly the bright red moons. And uh, then again, we ended with the lamb and the lion. So here we go. I'm going to put these two up because this is the majority of the church as it sits today. Um, this is really sort of your uh, Orthodox movement. This would be your traditional um, sort of Catholic, um, Anglican sort of real traditional setting. And basically, this sort of understanding the body is they really don't talk about the kind of stuff we are. They really just don't look at it. Doesn't matter. Don't understand it. Who cares? Um, I'm being a little bit glib. That I, I'm, I'm not. I'm generalizing here. Okay. So um, that's not everybody in these movements. But they tend not to even look at these subjects. Now this makes. Uh, sorry, uh, this one here. So 60, roughly around 60, 65% of the body doesn't even care about what we're discussing over this series. Um, the evangelical movement, which we're in, you know, in that sense, it does. And as it contends, um, there's a vast portion in here that contends. Now, again, there is a portion in here that doesn't care, doesn't see the need, all these kinds of things. One thing I can tell you when it comes to anything in these movements is a good, bad, and ugly. Okay? It actually exists in all of it. It exists in the evangelical movement. It exists in the orthodox movement. And guess what? We've been looking at it through a Hebrew perspective. And guess what? There's the good, bad, and the ugly. There is abuse of what goes on in the understanding of doctrines of man in every single one of these camps. Okay? And because there's an abuse on one side, remember we're learning, does that mean we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I'll give you an example. Um, the evangelical movement truly upholds the blood of Christ bought us, correct? And we are saved by grace, correct? Because I see a whole bunch of other shenanigans and weird doctrines coming out of this movement, do I throw out the blood? So just because they're getting it wrong over here, I mean, I don't throw everything out? See, do you see what can happen? If I use the abuse in any one of these quadrants as the reason not to look for his truth, I will be buying into the straw man or the poor ambassadorship that can be occurring within those camps. And this isn't subject to man. His truth isn't subject to man. So we've got to learn to get our sights on him and not on us. Right? Wherever we sit. This tends to be the very small portion, and I imagine it will be till his return. Um, <laughs> the good news about looking at it from this perspective is it says there's going to be a great delusion at the end um, on his people. Um, I actually tend to want to now be in this 5% camp. I'll sort of be called the tiny delusion. We, we, we're in a situation now where... Um, you know, the, those of us that are willing to look at it um, the way um, he recorded us to look at it can actually understand that, you know what, none of these movements, as we call them, are his. Whose are they? Yeah. So there's so even though I'm doing this for the sake of the conversation, I can't stand this stuff. I hate being pigeonholed. 
And that's why I started off what, I'll tell you what I'm not, and I'll tell you what I am. And this is the whole thing. So let's, let's not pigeonhole each other and, uh, and just try and pick on these movements because I can tell you what, they're called spiritual ad hominems. I can tear down, by the way, there's about 30,000 plus that have gotten into here now. That's an interesting form of unity. What's the fruit? You know, we should be looking for a oneness. You know what we need to get rid of? Is all of them. And if we can just seek him and look the way he asked, we're not going to do this all this pigeonholing. Um, okay. So what's happening? Uh, we're going to get a little bit more sobering here. Um, with the world's in an interesting place right now. Okay. Can everybody agree that we've been teetering on the brink of financial chaos since late 2008? We are teetering on major potential for war and conflict on the face of the earth. We are dealing with, um, this is Yeshua speaking to his disciples. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and stars, and the earth of dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the waves. We are seeing natural disasters at a rate that we've never seen before. I'm going to just talk about this for a sec. Um, There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famine, pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So remember these things we're not supposed to look at? Yeah, this is exactly where he's asking us to look. Now, this all sounds really sober, and I'm going to give you an example of just the technology statements that are built into this. And I'm just going to use earthquakes as an example. Um, often you hear, you, you, you put up this kind of scripture, and people go, oh, but there's been earthquakes. They've been happening since the beginning of man. Yes. There's been big earthquakes that have always happened. Yes. Do we have the technology that can actually measure, even just when we've been accurately able to measure this, particularly in the last 70 years, have they actually increased in intensity and number? Now, I can make that case easily. But I want to take this one step further. We don't have to be making these cases from that perspective. This was 2,000 years ago. And these are being given, what are the signs? Do you know that less than 150 years ago, if that earthquake had happened in Japan, for instance, it may not even have been assigned to you. Do you realize that you don't have to increase the numbers, even though they are? You don't have to increase the intensity, even though they are. You don't have to to try and create this, um, you know, circumstantial evidence to try and support him. A sign to his body is just that. You will know and see these things. And guess what? If a major earthquake happened anywhere in the world today, how long would it take for you to know about it? You're living in the first generation that can truly say this since those words were written. Do you see what I'm, the point I'm making here? This is sobering. So let's not get all caught up in these debates. Just look at what it's saying. The fact that they can be signs tells you you're in a very interesting place. Okay? And then, this is his church he's speaking about. Apparently, while this is all happening, the evil servant 
shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkard. Do you know that even though all these things are happening, the warnings that are coming from him is people are going to be going, no, 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 don't worry about it. That's kind of sobering because that's not talking about Rome. That's talking about us. Now, if we understood this from a marriage covenant perspective and it was the coming of a groom, might we be wanting the return of our groom and that's how we viewed the end times? Or would we be going, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with this. But I'm the bride. But I don't want him to show up. You see how we can get twisted in this. And, and, and so let's not get twisted in this. If we, if we are the bride and we see him as a groom and we know he's in control and we know that how this ends, which is a victory and a wonderful, incredible promise to everybody here, then why am I doing everything I can to not look for the coming of my groom? And I'll tell you why. We're all guilty of this. We're fallen. We hang on to our lives, don't we? We just do. Okay? So as we're working this through together, yes, we all have these things in our lives. But let's keep our eyes on the prize, and then all of a sudden our perspective on this whole subject may change. Is that cool? Okay. So we talked about what the Bible is really all about. It's a marriage covenant, okay? You're in one. And it's unfolding. It's being built upon. And guess what? I believe, as preposterous as it may sound, we are getting close to the fulfillment of the marriage covenant. So as we see all these scary things on the news, and what could happen here, and what might happen here, and everything else, let's just work together and keep our eyes on him. Because as these things approach, I'm hoping that I'm going to be somebody who's getting actually the comfort and the hope and a confident, expectation, a confident expectation of something that is good that's inside me, regardless of what's happening on the damn television screen. Okay? But indeed, the waters have become muddied. So the Jewish Sanhedrin, their Talmud, 2,000 years ago, they missed it. They were looking for a line and they got a... Lamb. Now, what were they full of? Guess what? They were full of Babylonian traditions that had crept in to Judaism. And some of that mysticism still exists today with things like the Kabbalah. And so they were entertaining some really stuff that was getting away from the truth. And they were adding upon the laws and the precepts and they were putting this heavy burden upon the people. They were contaminated with something called leaven. Spiritual adultery. Here's what's interesting. 2,000 years later, we've got our own form of Talmud, don't we? We can go onto YouTube. We can go onto Christian bookstores. We can go whatever. We can just DVDs. I mean, the libraries of our Talmud now are bursting with everybody's opinion. I'm not saying there's not a lot of good intent in that, okay? But if intent could win this game, we wouldn't need his truth. And we wouldn't need to be sitting here. Because I think most of the people in this room have good intent. So why are we here?
Okay, so at this time, by the way, unfortunately, this is to us. This is not to Rome. For the time will come and they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap upon themselves teachers, having itching their ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We're going to look at one of those things uh, in a little bit more detail today. All of this comes into what's called biblical hermeneutics. Sounds really fancy, doesn't it? When I say hermeneutics, it means that I'm smart, right? Doesn't that give me credibility? Hermeneutics. <laughs> what if I told you even the word, that hermeticizing of anything, came from the Egyptian and the Greek god of Hermes? That is the entomology. And we proudly proclaim this. Biblical hermeneutics. I'm telling you 30,000 denominations have come out of this. I can tell you the fruit of that. Not oneness. So will we debate with our intelligence, our knowledge, everything else? What is the fruit of what we're seeing? Anyway, I believe that what we're seeing here is the adversary's playground and the battleground of our minds because we are actually the source of the target. So let's just look at one particular Christian Talmud that's come through. And this is going to be a, cold, a golden calf that I'm about to, uh, to take fire and aim at, okay? And, and I'll tell you why. Because I sat in a camp where I probably was swirling around two or three of those. For most of my Christian walk, I did not have really a definitive position on this thing called the rapture or the hapatso in the Greek, which actually means the gathering. Okay, which is important because the gathering is pointing to something in the appointed times. So this is a big deal. However, this particular thing, the water has been so muddied within the evangelical church that I started to think, wait a minute. If the enemy is going after this one to such a degree, that's interesting. Why? Why would you do that? And we're about to see a little bit later on today that this is actually the gathering of the groom. Sorry, this is the gathering of the bride to the groom. Now, that would be a good reason to go after it. Why don't I confuse her on this one? If we, if we really look at what's been out there, we got this pre-wrath, we've got pre-trib, post-trib, multiple raptures, mid-trib, no rapture. Are those all right? And yet there are good people with good intent with tons of knowledge, very smart, clever, right now through the body of Christ that will give you an argument for every single one of those. And use scripture to try and do that. Yet, can there be, just up there alone, six truths on a matter? I know we're led unto truth. So, those all can't be right. So, what's going on here? How are we going to actually work this one out? So I sat there in my mind just going, okay, well, okay, I kind of like this one. The one I liked was pre-trip. <laughs> Do you know, can you, anyone guess why I would like pre-trip? <laughs> my flesh loved it because I could get to watch the hockey game. I had my get out of ticket from hell card and guess what? Poof. Now that's a doctrine. Okay. These guys, the post-tribbers, man, they used to drive me nuts. Um, Oh, no, 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 you're, uh, you're going to experience some travail in your life. I'm like, nah, <laughs> I will see no harm. 
Okay, so here's where it gets even more interesting. Through the travail of my life and everything else, this was just one of those things where as I was understanding the intimacy and understanding the covenant relationship of this, this was an area that the Spirit brought back into me. I really didn't care. I would often say to people, look, I believe in preaching, you believe in post mentor, whatever, I don't care. Right? That's the way I used to be. It was like, I have a position, I hold it fairly lightly, because to be honest with you, I'm not really an expert on this. You know? What if I told you that none of those line up with Scripture? For me, that freaked me out. As far as I was being revealed, I'm going, what do you mean? One of them's got to be right. And so we're just going to we're going to look at the appointed times and see something very interesting. But what if I said, given our journey to date, that there was an appointed time for the gathering of the bride from the groom? Would that make sense? Would that be a big deal if God was going to lay out an appointed times, which we were supposed to understand and honor his dress rehearsals that all pointed to his son? And our groom, our savior. Is it possible that the gathering of his bride might feature in that? So this is interesting. All right. However, again, speaking to the church, and he answered and said to them, why do yourselves transgress? What? The commandment of God for the sake of what? Your tradition. Going on then, going on now. As the time nears, many of the scholars are scrambling and shifting the goalposts depending on what position you're in. I'm telling you, they really are. You know why? Because they know something's coming. And all of a sudden, certain positions that they've held, have taught, have got out there, written books about, whatever, they're going, how do we view this? Because a lot of them are starting to go, wait a minute, maybe these appointed times things has a merit. As the Spirit of God pours out across the body, they're starting to look at this. Yet it never fit in to the doctrine and the eschatology, the study of end times, things that they were preaching. Now they're scrambling at the last moment. So you know what they're going to do with this as a last-ditch effort? I promise you we're seeing it. They will now try to determine how the appointed times will work. In order that their doctrine or whatever they've supported may continue to live. Now this is what the Sadducees and the Pharisees were guilty of 2,000 years ago. And I'm watching it happen right now across the body. It's real. So we continue to justify the doctrines, the beliefs, the suppositions. Now, here's the kicker. Do you know what's happening as a result? Do you know that a subject, the gathering of the groom for his bride, this beautiful picture has become now one of the most divisive and confusing subjects in the body of Christ? How? How'd that happen? You mean the, 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 the gathering of that which bought and loved me? is becoming a point of division for the body? Does anybody think that's kind of weird? And yet we're seeing it. Let us in here not entertain this, okay? Even after today, if you still wish to hold one of the other positions, that's fine. I'm giving you what the Lord revealed to me. He's also revealed it to others. You'll be glad to know. But... The thing is, is that I'm not here to convince you up here. I'm here trying to walk with you that there'll be a transformation in here. Okay? And if there are certain things that you want to hang on to the bitter end, that's fine. You take it up with him. 
I'm in that same boat. We're all in that boat. Okay? Oh, um, I'm just going to go back on this one. I have to mention this. There's another one in this that supported this whole rapture doctrine. By the way, um, Darby was the one who uh, popularized this about 100 years ago, um, this pre-tribulation rapture. Would it surprise anybody to know that... um, that a, the actual pre-tribulation doctrine actually really hasn't been taught that long. Now, the people in those camps try to make an argument. Oh, well, there was some pointing to it early in the, in the piece. I'll tell you what, it is a loose argument. <laughs> and I have even tried to because I wanted to believe it. And I'm going, I'm sorry, it doesn't stack. And why didn't, the, the, you know, when the Protestant movement came along, why didn't any of them believe? Why did they all teach we were heading for something? Why is it only in the last hundred years this thing's been popularized and then really injected with some popularity, um, actually through something called the late great planet Earth by a gentleman named Hal Lindsey. Popularizing this, and then it got really exploded in popularity with something called, has anybody ever heard of the Left Behind series? Yeah. So if you're left behind, you're the unlucky ones, right? And, and all this sort of thing. It, it sounds like it's all good, but if I'm letting... Th- the Left Behind series educate me on what the gathering of the groom is and not Scripture? Does that sound right to anyone? So I think we just need to go, okay, I liked it. It was good. It was entertaining. Um, Yeah, I'm all for that. Okay, but what does the Scripture say? That's all. So this doctrine of eminence came in there, and eminence being that um, it uh, can happen at any moment. Now, here's what's interesting. We got the luxury of hindsight. You'd think after almost 2,000 years of uneminence that that one wouldn't have been thrown out. <laughs> See, the argument from that doctrine is, is that, oh, it could have happened at any time. Really? He fulfills the precision of his appointed times to the day and the hour. Yet, we're going to believe that just something can happen at any moment. And after the first hundred years, you might have been argued, the second, third, fourth, we're now a thousand years into it. Maybe there's a bit of an argument. Well, this doctrine of eminence. It's actually not been around that long. But it would lead you to believe that something could happen at any moment. Well, I tell you what, you don't need the doctrine of eminence trying to convince you the rapture can happen at any moment. Because you know what? You can drop dead at any moment. (laughs) And guess who gets risen first in the rapture? The dead in Christ shall rise, and those who are alive will be caught up with them. Okay, so... Wait a minute. What's going on here? What am I focusing on? I'm starting to focus on theology instead of him. It's really subtle, and it can just do this to us. I know. By the way, I'll say it again. I preach from the place that I am what? Guilty of. Do you know that nowhere in Scripture is God's wrath and something called the Great Tribulation considered the same period? This is mixed up very considerably in this. The only reason why I raise it, some of you be going, well, what's that got to do anything? I'll show you in a sec. But this one has tried to be mixed. Actually, Scripture doesn't actually allow you to do it. You could make an argument that the last 10 days of the Great Tribulation is God's wrath. And in the book of Revelation, you'll find this spelled out in the bowl judgments. But they've tried to convince us through all of this, okay, this is purely recent conjecture in the body, that somehow the Great Tribulation, has everybody heard this, the Great Tribulation is a seven-year period? You ever heard that? Do you know that the Scripture does not say that? The Great Tribulation is a a three-and-a-half-year Hebrew calendar year. Okay? That's what it is. That's not my opinion. That's what Scripture is actually saying. The seven-year bit comes from an interpretation of what's known as the 70th week of Daniel. Now, we can't get into that today. 
But some of those interpretations are, can be quite dubious. And it is a study worth understanding, and it has merit in itself. But the one thing we can agree on today is we know how long the Great Tribulation is. That is not in dispute anywhere in the body. I can only bring in and add in these extra things. So we start to think that something called the Great Tribulation is a seven-year period. And then we're told, oh, the Great Tribulation and his wrath are synonymous. God's wrath. So God's wrath is going to last three and a half years, apparently. He can create the world in six days and everything in it. He can go through the plagues of Egypt in ten. But when it comes to his wrath at the end times, it's going to apparently take God three and a half years to get this point across. I want to say that something that wears its heavens as its wristwatch, when the wrath comes, to think you could survive three and a half years with the true wrath of God, to me, is crazy thinking. There is nothing in Scripture that would indicate such a thing. But we buy into this. But then you have to ask yourself the question, well, then how long is it? What is it? Now, this is speaking just before explaining the event of the rapture. And what he's saying is, is that I want you to take these words and comfort one another with these words. Okay, the words were that there's a promise that he's going to collect us and the dead in Christ will be raised. Okay, and this is going on. Now, this is this becomes fascinating because over the last year, I'm sure many of you have comforted each other with the words concerning the rapture, right? Put up your hands if you've done that. Why do you have to comfort one another when I've got the rugby game or I've got the soccer game or I've got the ice hockey game or I've got whatever it is or I've got this or I've got that? Really? Are you really getting up in the morning going, just hang in there? He's coming. Here's the promise. We are not destined for his wrath. Here's the good news. We are promised not to experience his wrath. Anybody happy with that now? Get a bit heavy, isn't it? Okay. And we wait for the son of heaven and he who's raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from what? The coming wrath. Okay. So they're still hoping all of this. Don't freak out too much, okay? However, here's the promise of Scripture for all of us that would be truly the body of the Christ and his bride. Now, there are people that would make you believe that this is not the case. And in fact, there's warning in Scripture. They say, I am no widow and I suffer no persecution. This is actually in Scripture speaking about the church. And there are people within it doing this. Ye all that will live, what? Godly in Christ Jesus shall, what? Doesn't say could, might. Oh, no, no, that was for the disciples. Oh, no, that's, that's, for the, that's for the Chinese body, or that's for the body in the Middle East. New Zealand gets raptured watching the rugby game. Do you think that maybe we enjoy the ability to entertain certain doctrine because of where we live? 
You try and convince somebody of a pre-trib position who's watched their family member lose their head last night. You see, we have the luxury to talk like this at this point. Okay? Let's not mistake that for truth. Luxury does not equal truth. Oh, by the way, who would misteach us on whether we'll suffer persecution or not? Would that be Rome or would that be inside the church? You pray that your flight not be in winter and neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be what? Great tribulation, such as not seen since the beginning of the world of this time, nor shall ever be, except for those days be shortened. This is interesting. Let these days be shortened. Do you know there's a hint to what we call the rapture in this? It's interesting. What's going to be shortened for his elect? The great tribulation. Ooh. See, we just glibly step over this stuff, but it's there. And we're promised to be spared from his. Okay. We are going to look at the appointed times right now and just rock it through it. So do up your seatbelt and we're going to look at an appointed times view of what it looks like. So just like the Passover, he fulfilled it in the same year in sequence to the day. And we were taught to rehearse it in the same manner. So what do I go on? Do I go on how he told me to rehearse it? How he actually demonstrated the pattern of fulfilling it? Or do I now take it and change it for the last round? Because it was in the same year, in the same time, in sequence to the day. That's the pattern we've got. Yet I'm going to somehow throw that all out and go, no, 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 the last four are all over the place because my doctrine doesn't fit it. When I saw this for the first time in my heart, when the eyes of my heart could see it, I leapt for joy because confusion on a matter had finally left. And I understood something. I didn't have to invent doctrine and theology. I couldn't believe when I understood what the appointed times were, what we call the fall feast. I couldn't believe that I didn't have to twist all this stuff. It just fits. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to try and argue this case and give you some bamboozling argument on the 70th week of Daniel and chant, twist your scripture here and talk about doctrines of man and eminence and why this is real and why and build the whole case up. Believe what you want. It's okay. But when I saw what you're about to see, it brought joy to me. And there's a reason for that. First of all, who's the author of confusion? Yeah. Do you know what left me when I saw this? Yeah. That would be an interesting place. The adversary is now into getting rid of my confusion. We speak to the children. Say unto the appointed times of the Lord. You shall what? Proclaim them as what? Holy dress rehearsal. These are my appointed times. So again, remember, they're not Jewish. They're not Hebrew. They're not Israel's. They are his. And we were to understand them as a dress rehearsal. Just to look at these every year and to know what they were pointing to. And that, and they were delivered 1500 years, but almost 1500 years before the first coming. And that's all done in Passover. We've gone through that. I'm going to skip through that one. 
Okay, but what we do know is whose will has he come to seek? So if these are the father's appointed times and he's saying what? I've come to seek whose will? Yeah, not my own. Nonetheless, father, your will be done. So is he going to come down here and go, yeah, yeah, I know he's got these appointed times. The dad doesn't know what he's talking about. He didn't say that the first time. How many of you reckon the second time he's going to get that attitude developed? If you had known this day, and this was the degree he was holding them to account on the Passover. So what did it end in? The destruction of the temple. Do you understand he is holding them to account and there's a judgment that comes upon them not having this understanding you should have because you should have been doing them as a dress rehearsal and you should have been honoring them and you should have known what the prophecies looked like for my return. And if you had, you would know who was standing here in front of you to this day. And what they do with them? They crucified them because it didn't fit their doctrine. These days have come upon you and your enemies will throw the barricade against you. And this is showing the destruction of the temple. And they will not leave you one stone upon another. Remember he said there will not be one stone upon another. So this is scripture. The whole council supporting itself. But look what it says. The time of your what? Visitation. Wow. Okay. The Bible warns of the end times. Many in his church has called out people will be caught out unaware regarding the return of our Messiah. Messiah. So this is apparently going to happen the second time is the first. Now, I'm going to say to you, this is we're about to shoot another golden calf, okay? How is this level of blindness possible? How do you think we could be this blind? If we were on the verge, let's just humor this for a second. If we were on the verge of a generation of the return of our Messiah, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, if we really were that close, as preposterous as it might sound. Do you believe that it would be absurd as a believer who loves him and as a Christian all your life that you could not know that? Yeah, that's exactly what it says. If I can change the definition of Israel, I can change how you're going to read the scripture because if Israel is a piece of dirt and it's another people, every time you read it is in the third person, isn't it? Oh, that's them. That's them, that's them, that's them. You know, if you're taught this, you can read almost the whole Bible and everywhere you see Israel, it's not who? It's not us. Wow. Okay. The appointed times. These are the appointed times. You should proclaim them. Why? I'm sorry for those writing scripture. You're just going to have to write them. We've got to really rock it now. And he shall speak words against the Most High, right? Wear out the saints and he shall think to change what? The appointed times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand until a time, times, and half a time. And in plain speak, that is 1,260 days. Okay? So just so you know, I'm not making that up. Whose hands are they beginning into? The anti-Messiahs. The body is. This is a whole lot of work going on in Scripture, and you're going to see this for people that are supposedly not even going to be around. Okay. (laughs) This is where it's going to upset a few people. (laughs) Now, I want to say this right up front. Some of my most beautiful memories as a child growing up were all three of these. Okay? As you might recognize them. Christmas, Easter, Halloween. 
This is not about whether you are celebrating them and you're some evil person because you do. Okay? I am not sitting here judging you if you do. Do you understand that? But I cannot explain to you what I'm about to without pointing out what has been polluted. Okay? So just walk with me on this one. What if I told you that the mastermind behind these came from Mystery Babylon? And that they were actually working to subtly destroy your intimacy of the groom because you would be celebrating something else, your traditions, instead of what he asked us to. And what he asked us to points to him in intimacy. Yet, you talk Christmas right now in the world. What does that mean to people? I know what it means to us, right? We hear it all the time. This is what it means to me, right? Christmas means to me the birth of Jesus, right? Do you know what's interesting, though, about this? I still made that about me, didn't I? Well, this is what Easter means to me. This is what the point. See, it's all about me still. The question is, is how does he view these? Is this just fun and games to him? You see, we, I lived, and I'll tell you why we do this, why we entertain this, to make you feel better. So we celebrate things that are contaminated with Babylonian practices, and we attach the Messiah of Israel to them. And one of the main reasons why is we simply don't know any better. Now, I can't go into this tonight, but if you knew the origins, the true origins of Christmas and Easter and Halloween, it's actually disturbing. And to even attach that which brought us to it is actually an interesting thing. So I'm only going to do that if I don't know any better, right? There's no way that I'm going to do something that would possibly be offensive to him, knowingly, at least I hope not. The question is, is that does this all really matter? Well, that's going to be something between you and your heart. I had to be challenged on that. You're going to have to walk it out. I'm sorry. Shoot the messenger if you like. But... We are even instructed. I'm just going to use one of them as an example. For the customs of the people are vain. He cuts down the tree out of the forest and the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold and they fasten it with nails, with hammers that it move not. Look at this. Thus saith the Lord. It's the next verse. Learn not the way of the heathen. And be what? Dismayed at what? Signs of the heavens. Whoa. If I, you want to spot the enemy, reverse it. We've learned something that's not his celebrations, and we are dismayed at these things. The whole thing's reversed. So what's ahead? The glory of God to conceal a matter and search a matter out? These are your four last or the, the next round, his second coming. The Feast of Trumpets, Yom Torah. Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. And then the last great day. And we know, um, we understand there's a thousand year reign coming. These are the four that are left to be fulfilled. The others are anniversaries now. If we don't know what these are, is it possible we might not know how close the time is to approaching their fulfillment? Would that be possible? So again, not to bash people for celebrating Christmas and Easter and Halloween and all these sorts of things. But if it doesn't teach you who he is, then we're doing something. The customs of the people are in vain. Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement. Okay. 
This one here, would it surprise you that the Feast of Trumpets, if you understand when we talked about the Hebrew wedding model, do you know what that whole thing speaks of? If you were to honor this as a dress rehearsal, they watch on the wall and they're looking for something and they blow the shofar. What happens in the Hebrew wedding model? Who's coming when they blow the horn? Who are they watching for? Okay, it's going to get interesting. The day of blowing to the shofar, there's a hundred blasts. Do you know what this is called in Hebrew culture? The day that no man shall know the day nor the... Ooh, isn't this interesting? So you think of the context a hundred years ago. We're now looking through a Hebrew lens. We see something like that and we go, okay, that's it. No one can know. Yet he's talking to them about something they've celebrated their whole life. Do you know when he said that? Do you know exactly what, do you know they know exactly what he's talking about? If I said to you, it's the day we open the presents from under the tree. What day would you say that is? Is there any doubt? None. He's speaking to them 2,000 years ago through a lens that we're no longer looking at. And then we're trying to interpret it 2,000 years later through a modern Western lens. And we think that we can possibly lose contact in that, yes. The day of the regathering, the day of announcing. This was also a time of repentance. By the way, in Judaism, do you know what they actually attribute this to? The creation of man, the coming of man. So this is interesting. It's this announcing, this coming. What, remember we learned uh, around Passover? What was, what did they see in the sky on Feast of Trumpets? They saw the stars in the heavens. And what was it pointing to? The birth of who? Yeah. The whole thing is a coming. It's also a time of warning of what's coming next. And then what commences is something called the 10 days of awe. What if I told you that if you understood this, the only possible interpretation you can get is some of the scriptures you're about to see? There is a gathering of something. Let's just have a quick look. And he will send forth his angels with what? And they will gather together his what? Elect from the four winds of the earth from one sky, end of the sky to the other. Mm, that interesting. So what's announcing this gathering? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the what? Trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Okay, listen to this. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of eye, at the what? The last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on, clothe itself with the imperishable and mortal and mortal with immortality. Can we mistake what appointed time this is at this stage? We're touching the scriptures on this. Do your homework. Please. It is screaming to you what this is and when it occurs. And no doctrine of man can change his word. Something interesting to particularly note about this. The Feast of Trumpets is held over a two-day period. Do you know how this feast is determined, the start of it? With the naked eye, you have to see the sliver 
of the new moon rising. You have to cite something. This is how the feast is actually celebrated. When that comes up, guess what the watchmen on the wall do? They blow a trumpet. Do you know that you can't tell whether the sliver is there? There's a two-day period. Not even NASA can know this when the human eye can spot it. Do you know that this has to still to this day be determined by the blowing of the shofar and a watchman on the wall has to spot it? No man should know the day nor the hour, right? Because it can happen over this two-day period. And to this day, with all the technology, with all everything we looked at last week, guess what? That still holds true. Isn't that neat? Okay. But at the appointed times, brethren, look at this. Whoa, he's speaking to them. They've been celebrating this whole lives. There is no need that I write unto you. Wow. Let's keep going. This is right along at Thessalonians, one after the other, okay? Look at this. For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord comes, what? As a thief in the night. When is the shofar blown and when does the groom come? In the night. Okay? But you, brethren, are what? Not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. Whoa, you mean that if I understood how this worked, what I was looking at, what I'd celebrated, what I should have in me, that I'm actually not going to be caught unaware? That's the promise from Scripture. But aren't we told, oh, no, no, no one can know. If I put on a lens, the lens that he asked me to, and just look at the context, it is stunning how this lines up. And I don't have to butcher anything in his word. We're just looking at his word. We'll keep going. For you are children of the light and not children of the day. We are not of the... Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew day starts in the... When the sun goes down at night and ends in daylight. It's the reverse on the Gregorian calendar. And we have absolute implicit instructions. Therefore, let us not sleep as others. But what? Let us watch and be sober. So there's your instruction. Should we be looking at this? Should we be discussing this as a body? Do you know your groom's telling you? Yes. yes. Okay. It's me. The one who loves you is coming. Do you want to look? Day of atonement. Ten days of on here. We all talk about the return of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Here's what's interesting. This actually mirrors what you see happen to the Egyptians with Israel right at the beginning. The ten plagues. Something fascinating that we're told to celebrate every year. And this is a time of great repentance. Something is going to go down. And guess what? Guess what we're spared from? So there's something that's going to go down on the earth. That to this day, this feast is pointing to a time of cleansing, purification, repentance, and mourning. A time of restoration. God's wrath. This was the only time of the year, get this, the holy priest on the day of atonement would enter into the holy of holies. Okay, to enter in once a year, the high priest. Who's our high priest now? It's him. It's Yeshua. So the Christ has become our high priest. And one day a year in how you're to celebrate this for thousands of years is that the high priest would walk into the holy of holies. What do you think this is pointing to? One day, the great and awesome day of the Lord, our high priest is going to arrive. And what's the temple now? Us. And anyone who's just gone through the wrath of God, they're going to see the glorious coming of our king with the saints coming down. 
And guess what they're going to do when they see? They're going to look upon the one whom they have pierced. And immediately in their hearts, in their temple, what's going to happen? The high priest will enter right into it. Isn't that unbelievable? We have got something incredible if we just continue to walk this. We don't have to invent stuff. If you understand what this whole Day of Atonement, this so-called Jewish thing is, you will be stunned at how it works and how it lines up with the rest of Scripture. I think God might have planned it that way. We must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ. So guess what? Everyone who's been taken up, hmm, to receive the things good according to what he's done, whether good or bad, wins the judgment seat of Christ. This is interesting. Well, there's a wrath going on. We've been caught up to stand before him. Interesting. I even found things like the judgment seat of Messiah to actually have a place in this as we keep going. Come on, my people. This is the uh, Old Testament. Come on, my people. Enter into thy chambers and shut the door about thee. Hide thyself but for a little moment until the indignation or wrath has what? Overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to what? Punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. You can read that as lawlessness, just so you know. The earth also shall disclose her blood. Get this. It's pointing. And her slain no more. And so, and no more cover her slain. The dead in Christ will rise. Oh, it doesn't talk about the rapture. In the Old Testament, I'll tell you, it sure does. Look at this in Romans. But because your heart, what? Was, <laughs> you are storing up for yourself wrath. What? The day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And the heavens will open like a scroll. Look what's doing it. Now we've talked about the covenant. What's being circumcised? The hearts. I don't know about you, but I want a circumcised heart. I don't want to be sticking around for the wrath of God. (laughs) Okay? Let's let him do the work, okay? When I saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees came to baptize, and he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, that which is meant for, what? Repentance. What was the last words coming into his mouth? Go forth and what? Repent. Turn to God. Turn to his ways, his words. I tell you what, we're in good hands. <laughs> we'll look upon the one who appears. I've done that. All right. We're just about near the end here. There's a five-day of silence. Do you know none of the scholars, including the Hebrew ones, get this. There's an interesting period of five days. It sits between the last day of atonement, okay, just before the start of something called tabernacles. Now we're going to end on a real positive note here. <laughs> this five-day of silence, nobody really knows. But there is something interesting mentioned in scriptures, and I've got a question mark here as to whether this could still be referring to the judgment seat or actually whether it refers to something called the sheep and goats judgment. So... It's interesting. I'm still yet to really understand that. Um, I can't say that I have a revelation on it, but I'll tell you this one I absolutely love. And I'll tell you what, if there was a body that would get together and celebrate this this year, I would love to be a part of it here. It's called Sukkot. It is a seven-day celebration of dwelling together. <laughs> it is the wedding feast. This whole thing speaks about our marriage of the Lamb marriage to him and we're supposed to celebrate this every year now if there was a dress rehearsal 
And somebody you were going to marry, your spouse said, no, 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 no. They, 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 who had a dress rehearsal before they got married here? What if your spouse had said, no, 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 I'm not going to that. <laughs> got it. It's like, what, what? You know, you'd be questioning, does she love me? Does he love me? I mean, some questions to ask here. Okay, this is this is where it gets really exciting, all right? Please just be with me. We're about to finish up, okay? Is anybody finding this interesting? Okay. <sighs> the wedding feast and tabernacles, and we're supposed to be celebrating this every year, and I'm going to really try and bring this point home with this. If so-called two billion professing Christians on the face of the earth, instead of celebrating the Babylonian versions, decided to actually do what he asked us to... Two billion Christians would be preparing every year for something called the Feast of Tabernacles. Two billion on the face of the earth for a seven-day camp out together. I don't know if you know what two billion people camping for seven days would be in supplies, but every Walmart, everything you could think of would be having to have what kind of sale every year. It's called the sale of tabernacles. And guess what? The world would be sitting there every year going, tabernacles, tabernacles. And guess what? There's not ten different versions of what it is. There is one. And guess what we would have to explain to them? Two billion times. This is the coming and the marriage of my Savior. And it would not be some convoluted message. Do you think his model's broken? I don't. I think we're broken. I think the vessel he has to work through is broken. But I can tell you this much. If two billion Christians every year celebrated this, how long would it take for the world to get the point? This is incredible. Can we be that example? I don't care if it's even a weekend, but you know what my prayer is for this year? That we will just go up to El Rancho for two days and just celebrate the fact that he's coming. Hey? Would that be neat? And we can tell people why we're doing it. Because we're actually excited about his coming. And we're not living in fear about a bunch of bad stuff going down on the television. We're going to be a light and a hope to the world at this time. How does that sound? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited. I'm really sorry. sorry, sorry. Because it does. It lifts my spirit. And the next one's a real biggie. We're going to talk about it tonight. I'm going to end this now, okay? Because I know you're all bored and want to get out of here. So, but... But what, what what I want to say to you is this. If you can come back tonight, we're going to talk about the thousand-year reign. It's incredible. It's one of my most favorite subjects. Okay? And if we got together for tabernacles, I believe that's what we could talk about and to understand. It's beautiful. I don't have to twist Scripture to make this work. I just have to know the appointed times. And guess what? The Scripture, it just falls into it. It just drops into it. I'm going, oh, my goodness. I don't have to be a scholar. I don't have to be full of all this knowledge. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to be puffed up. I can be a broken vessel that's having his heart circumcised. That's not worthy to even stand before you, if not by his blood. And that's all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for hearing this out today. Last great day tonight and a Q&A. Okay. Thank you so much. I really mean it.